Welcome everybody. Happy Christmas. Good to see you guys. Um, so we sent out an email and probably some social media posts, but in case you missed those things, um, this is our Christmas service, basically. Um, we won't do a Christmas Eve service. Number one, we uh, want you guys to be able to spend time with your family and your friends. And two, we rent this building from uh, Calvary Baptist Church, and they do a candlelight service themselves on Christmas Eve. And so if you'd like to go to church on Christmas Eve, you're welcome to come here and join Calvary Baptist or go to any of the other wonderful churches in town for Christmas Eve service, but we won't have one. So we got church tonight and then also next Sunday, because that's what church does, is it happens every Sunday, um, which is the day after Christmas. So we imagine that it will probably be a rather small service, and we will probably kind of be spread out with family and doing stuff um, the day after Christmas as well. So we will be here on Sunday the 26th. Um, We'll be in the fireplace room, which is the room right behind us that you guys walked through. It has a fireplace in it. Uh, Mark will give a short devotional. We'll do a couple worship songs. Maybe we'll do some kind of food together if Mark and I can make that happen. I don't know. Um, So if you're out of town or you're with family on the 26th, we get it. But if you're here and you're free, why not come be with your church family on the 26th? And we'd love to see you there. Um, So we're going to continue what will be just a really simple Christmas service right now by reading um, the Christmas story, the narrative from Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 2. Uh, or you could follow along on the screen, or if you want to just close your eyes and listen, you can do that too. Um, And I'm going to read through Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, and we pray that as we 
read it now and just take a short, deeper look at it um, that you would begin to form us as your followers based on this story, based on this story that changed everything with the birth of our Savior. We are anticipating um, your spirit to move in us. We're ready for you. So I ask that you would begin to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no doubt that everyone in this room has read that story or heard that story many, many times, most likely right around this time of year. Um, in my family growing up, uh, this was the story that my dad would read before we would open presents. And uh, so my brothers and I would try to be good listeners, good Christian kids, and like sit there and listen and you know, appreciate the, the story. But in, inside, we're just like, come on, just like wrap it up. We got some presents to open, Dad. Um, and it sounds silly, but I, I kind of think that I, and maybe, maybe we, still do that a little bit in the Christmas season as adults. We get wrapped up, pun intended, with presents and lights and trees and parties and the whole vibe in the season. And then we're like, oh, yeah, this is sort of about Jesus. I guess maybe let's read the birth story. Where's that, Luke 2? Yeah, let's open it up and read it. Cool. Um, so that's only like not a good thing if um, the story does nothing for us or if we don't let it do something in us. So if we just listen to that story or read it to check a box so that we can move on to the other parts of Christmas, yeah, that's not so good. But if we read it because we know that this story has the potential to form us and shape us and change us, both now during Christmas and then also throughout the rest of the year, uh, it's a wonderful thing. And so it's good that we read it now. And it's good that we don't forget to read it. And now is a, the perfect time to do it. And so um, we are humans are story machines. We live our lives based on narratives that make sense of our existence and our world. If we hear a story that rings true, we can kind of base our life on that, the truth of that story. Um, I'm not talking about like novels and nonfiction and things like that, um, but about explanations of who we are, why we're here, who God is, who Jesus is, things like that. Our world is offering a lot of narrative options for that explain who we are and what we're about. And then depending on what story or narrative you believe is true, we kind of live our life accordingly. And so this birth story of Jesus is a foundational, formational story that explains who we are and who Jesus is. And so it is very important, not just something to gloss over before we move on to Christmas, but something that can and should um, shape us and change us as Jesus followers today. So I'm just going to really quickly go through it um, and just point out a few things that might um, be relevant for us today. Maybe you can tuck away and think about this week and the next. Um, so look at the very beginning, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So a way to paraphrase that verse is like this. Our story begins when the ruler of the world was gathering information on how many people he ruled and how much money and assets were his to do with what he wished. So Caesar is not just the ruler of the Romans, uh, not just like the, the occupier and oppressor of the people of Israel, but also declared to be the son of God. So Luke introduces us to like the origin, the birth story of our savior, deliverer, our hero, set against the like ruler and chief power of the known world at that point, kind of taking stock of all that was his to rule over. And that's where our story begins. 
Verses four and five, skipping ahead, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So as God's amazing, miraculous plan would have it, Joseph had to return to his hometown. You guys know that's the way that censuses work. You gotta go back to your hometown. So um, apparently that's not a good joke. I won't do that next year. Um, I'll make a note, don't worry. Um, so Joseph is from King David's line. You have to return to your hometown. So he leaves Nazareth, goes to his hometown, the city of David, AKA Bethlehem, uh, with his pregnant slash soon-to-be wife, Mary. Um, verses six and seven, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They're in Bethlehem. Mary's ready to have this baby. Perhaps they're staying with relatives. So if you're all kind of traveling from these different places that you live, having to register for the census in your hometown, it's likely that you and other distant family members are gonna try to stay in the same house of your relatives. Um, so it's likely that the guest room in the house of their family was taken, or perhaps the kind of traditional understanding is true that they were trying to find public accommodations at like an inn or something. Um, and they're running out of luck. They're, wherever they are, there's no like good solid crib for the baby to sleep in. So they have to use this little feeding trough to let baby Jesus sleep. However you see it, we're meant to see this as a very humble beginning for the king and the savior to come into this world. Um, it's kind of interesting. Luke almost shares the fact that the baby was born in passing. He's like, yeah, the baby was born, but then we're actually like meant to see the kind of the main climax of the text after that. So yes, Jesus is born. Um, and then he draws our attention to what comes next in verses eight through 12. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So a couple of things about eight through 12. First, maybe most importantly is the shepherds. Um, there's a few possible reasons why Luke makes sure to draw our attention to the fact that this like dramatic, angelic, big announcement is coming to shepherds. The first, perhaps, um, King David was himself a shepherd before he was king. And so um, this kind of thematically makes sense that God is, uh, Luke is introducing us to Jesus who would become our shepherd. Um, and the message is being delivered to shepherds in this field. There's a text from Ezekiel 34, 23 says, um, God says, I will place over them, over his people, Israel, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant, David. And this is after the time of David. So he's referring to this future David-like figure and he will tend them, he will tend them and be their shepherd. So that's one option is Luke's wanting us to think about this story as God finally bringing his people back under his care as their shepherd. And then this, this new baby will be that shepherd. And that to me makes sense and is really beautiful. Um, another option or maybe even another angle to why Luke is drawing our attention to shepherds here um, is that shepherds were rather low on society's list of who would be considered stand up honest guys. <laughs> They had a reputation for being um, 
thieves. They kind of wandered around all the time, imagining kind of crossing in and through different people's properties and not a lot of accountability. And so they didn't have the greatest reputation. And so potentially Luke is drawing our attention to the fact that this crazy, epic, angelic announcement that's about to come about the king of the world is not being addressed immediately to the rich or the privileged or the powerful or the holy, but the lowly and maybe even people of suspect character, like the shepherds. Um, the next thing in this passage is literally the most like gospel gospel thing that has been said in the Bible, but the, it's the angel's announcement. So what he says is, do not be afraid. They see this angel appear in the sky. It would, it would be terrifying. We can all admit that that would be terrifying. So the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. So that phrase, I bring you good news, is actually one word in the original language. It's this word, we've talked about it before, euangelizomai. It's where we get our word evangelism or evangelistic. Um, so it's uh, a word that very specifically refers to the royal announcement of a new king. So to proclaim good news means you're not just telling something new that's happened, but you're talking about a new ruler who is kind of coming into the scene. So it's a proclamation of sorts where it's like, though um, everything in your world is difficult right now, everything is about to change because of this new person or this new ruler that's going to come in and take over. So the good news, the proclamation, everything's changing, the Messiah has been born. That's the good news, that their Lord and Savior has been born in King David's town. And this news, like the angel says, will be cause for great joy for all people, even shepherds. Um, in verse 11, we kind of have mashed in three like very, very huge, important words about who Jesus is, actually. So it says in verse 11, um, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. That's the first thing. He's the savior, the deliverer of people to forgive their sins. Um, then it says he is the Messiah. Um, this word, uh, that's kind of a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Messiah. Sorry, that's a Messiah is the English transliteration of a Hebrew word that means anointed one, or the word Christ um, in Greek, Christos is what's here, also means the same thing. It's someone who is anointed for a specific task. And so the Messiah, we learn in the Old Testament, is a figure specifically anointed and kind of set apart by God for a very specific task. And that's what this word Messiah is. So that's huge. He's our savior, our deliverer. He is our anointed one, or God's anointed one, the Messiah. And finally, he is the Lord, or he is the master, or he is the king, the one who should have and must have the rule and reign and authority over our lives and over the world. And then the angels give the shepherds a sign that will kind of prove the validity of what they've just promised. So you can go find this baby swaddled in some kind of baby blanket or strips of linen and lying in a manger. So the shepherds hear this announcement, and then more angels appear. Uh, one made the first announcement, but now there's like a whole lot of them, and they just burst out of the sky, and all of a sudden they're visible, and they're audible, and they're singing, and they're proclaiming, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So what they proclaim, what they're shouting out is that the highest honor or the highest like weight and fame and honor should and does belong to God. And part of that, part of their praise is this request or this plea or this acknowledgement that 
the birth of Jesus and to the glory of God, uh, peace will come to those on earth on whom God's favor rests. And I think this, um, that phrase kind of likely refers to relational peace that is going to come through Jesus, that we can be reconciled to God, and that is the peace that is going to come through um, this baby Jesus. Verse 16 through 20, the shepherds hurry off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So they leave their post and they go and to find out if this thing was true, what the angels said to them. They go to Bethlehem. They find Mary, Joseph, and the baby wrapped in the blanket in the feeding trough. They're amazed. They tell everyone that they can about what they heard from the angels, this baby they saw. They're amazed. Mary is amazed, and she ponders these things and treasures them. Um, and then the shepherds make their way back to their flocks, and they're just amazed at what's happened. Um, it's a wonderful story. And there's two things that I think um, that I think should form us or begin to form us, shape us, and change us tonight and this week and throughout our whole life as Jesus followers. So there's, the first thing is this. Um, like Mary, we should become a pondering and treasuring people. Um, following in her example, following the example of the shepherds, um, uh, to ponder and be thoughtful about and to treasure this story, this very fact of that and how Jesus came into this world. Um, and becoming a pondering person and a, someone who treasures the things that you ponder and the things that we have from Scripture, um, it takes time and intention. Pondering and treasuring doesn't happen quickly, and it also doesn't happen accidentally. Um, I don't consider myself a busy person. Um, I certainly can be unintentional, maybe passive at times. Um, others of you might feel like you are the opposite, where you're like a very intentional and ordered person, and you maybe are a little bit busy too. Um, neither of those things, whether you're like me or the opposite of me, neither of those are going to help us be like Mary, wanting to ponder and to treasure um, these things that we are reading in scripture. And so my, just a small thing, my encouragement to you and, and for myself for this week is um, to think about one thing that you can take off of your plate, whether that's a, a task that you have to do, one thing that you can do to make yourself less busy so that you can treasure and ponder, or maybe one thing to remove from your life if it distracts you from being intentional. Um, or maybe we, maybe we could do both. But all of this for the purpose of attempting to become people who ponder and treasure, who slow down and think and reflect and uh, become like Mary. The second thing, maybe the most important, uh, you are a shepherd and the good news is for you. Or you are like one of these shepherds and this good news is for you and is proclaimed to you today. I think um, as we read this story, if, if we were to read it out, outside of the context of Christmas, I think we should be putting ourselves in the shoes of these shepherds. 
I think this might be what Luke means for us to ponder and to think about and to understand is that these are just some normal dudes with issues like the rest of us, some, some reputation perhaps. They're just out doing their job, doing their thing, and then all of a sudden they meet God. They meet this angelic announcement, these messengers sent from God. This heavenly being shows up and they are terrified and the angel says, you don't have to be afraid. I have good news for you. I have good news and it's the kind of news that is going to bring you immense joy, not just to you, but for the whole world. And that news is actually still the same, that a deliverer, a savior was born, the anointed one, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, and he is our new king. Um, so the good news that we, the gospel, that we find in the scriptures that we actually celebrate the beginning of at Christmas, um, it would not actually be good news if it required you to be something that you're not in order to receive it. So the good news is not good news if you need to clean yourself up first or get better or be holier or stop sinning before you accept it. It's actually not the gospel. Um, and I think that's partially why it came to these shepherds, just like unassuming, not necessarily the holiest or the of highest station people. And the good news comes right to them from the mouth of a messenger of God. And so this good news means great joy for shepherds, and that means it means great joy and good news for us as well. And it, this message meets you, maybe, maybe frightens you at the beginning, but it meets you right exactly where you are, wherever you find yourself right now. And the news is not shape up or else. Um, the news is that our Savior has been born, a king who would deliver us from sin, from slavery to sin, who would um, deliver us. And that's actually, I think, something to ponder and to treasure and to celebrate is not just that Jesus was born and not just that he was born of the Virgin Mary, which are amazing things to ponder and celebrate, but that this child would become our savior. This is what we celebrate, the advent or the arrival of our deliverer, our Messiah, and our King. His very nature in his names that were given here, it means that we cannot do this on our own. We cannot be good enough on our own if we are honest, um, we are desperate and hopeless without Jesus, but with him we are full of hope. And with him we have this promise of deliverance and salvation, the promise of peace with God and reconciliation with God and also with others. Um, we have the promise of a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdom of God with our new, our new Lord or our new King here. And so, just very simply ask, would you consider to clear whether it's actual time in your schedule or mental space in your mind to ponder and treasure this good news that we are celebrating at Christmas?